Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, you can still take part in our survey. So it's still available for a few more days. It's a listener analysis. So it's all about what your opinions are on the podcast. And it's important research that hopefully we will be able to um, feed back to you guys again and to be able to give you the results. So if you haven't had a chance, then you can find the link to the survey on our homepage. Um, it's also available on our social media. So you can get that on Instagram, uh, conversations.equinescience, Facebook, conversations in equine science, or if you follow myself or Nancy on LinkedIn or on Twitter, we've also shared the links there. Some of you may um, find survey filling to be a little bit of a tedious job, but we can assure you it's a nice quick survey and Nancy has a little tip that makes it even quicker to fill out. Yeah, if you guys find it um, difficult to fill out the table of questions, there is a link before you even get into that that will list them individually and it may be a faster go ahead and click that link and have that table appear as individual questions. So um, just look for that link and uh, then you don't have to scroll up and down to remember what the circles uh, represent as a response. So um, just a little tip in case you want it to be a little quicker. We're really grateful to everyone who's responded so far and given us invaluable feedback. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts from me and Nancy. And for anyone that can still get on there and have your say, we would really appreciate it. Thanks, Kate, for bringing that up. Now, this week, we're talking about a paper entitled Bit-Related Lesions in Event Horses After a Cross-Country Test. It's by Tomola uh, 2021, uh, Tomola et al., and it talks about bit-related oral lesions and how common they are and how they may impair horse welfare. The aim of this study was to investigate the prevalence of oral lesions and their risk factors in a sample of Finnish event horses. The rostral part of the oral cavity, which is the bit area, of 208 event horses was examined in a voluntary inspection after the last competition phase, which would have been the cross-country test. Acute lesions were observed in 52% of the horses, so there were 208, so 109 horses had um, acute lesions. The lesion status was graded as uh, no acute lesions, which ended up being 48%, mild lesions for 22%, and then moderate for 26%. And then 4% of the horses had severe 
lesions. And the most common place for the lesions was the inner lip commissure, which is the corner of where, you know, the top and bottom of the mouth meet and inside that inner lip. 39% of the horses had lesions there. So it was definitely um, surprising information in this paper. And I'll let Kate talk a little bit about it now. And for anyone who wants to access the paper, it is open access and there's some great pictures. And I think it's something that we easily overlook in horses is to actually check the inside of their mouth. It's so easy to fool yourself into thinking as well that your bit isn't causing any problems, but so often bits aren't properly fitted. Um, we use what we think are kinder bits. This study showed that horses that wore thick bits had a higher risk of moderate to severe lesion status compared to horses wearing middle-sized. So in our heads, I think a lot of us would think thin bits will cause a problem, and they do. They're right up there with the thick ones. But sometimes we think we're being kinder by putting a thicker bit in a horse's mouth, and they were causing the same lesions as those thin ones. So to find a bit that's that middle of the road and fits nicely is seeming to be a harder exercise than we probably originally thought. Yep. Um, I thought it was really interesting that all these horses were from the age of four to 19. And um, there were 127 warm bloods, 52 cold bloods and then 29 ponies. And the ponies um, had less uh, lesions than the cold bloods or the warm bloods. The warm bloods had the most lesions. Now, they were also um, more represented in this study. But also, sometimes you don't see adults riding ponies. Uh, mainly, you see younger kids riding ponies so maybe they don't have exert the pressure on the mouth that an adult rider would so um anyway um that's a good point actually because it doesn't say in the study what age range we're completing the cross-country test yeah and i kept thinking you know i mean i can exert a lot more pressure on my pony than a 12 year old can so perhaps that's where the discrepancy was. But uh, another interesting finding was that mares were, had a higher propensity for lesions than the geldings. And uh, in correlation to that, this study points out that women heal more slowly than men when it comes to dental procedures or oral lesions. So I had asked Kate, uh, you know, that's possibly a hormone um, correlation, you know, or whatever. And, and we think that's what it might be. It doesn't say in the paper, but the fact that the mares um, had more lesions, I don't think there would be any other reason for that. Do you, Kate? No, and especially when it comes to healing times, it must be hormone related. Um, even when you think about like, if you, we obviously don't know what diets they're on and if the geldings are on a higher protein diet, then they'll have a better healing rate. But how the body makes use of certain foods, like 
you could feed the mares and the geldings the same diet, but that uptake of protein will be different based on sex as well. So it's it must be sex-related hormones that instigate how quickly they can heal. There was another point in this paper as well, actually, about um, bar lesions. So where the bit actually sits on the bars of the mouth. And they were more common in horses that had unjointed bits. So the straight bits compared to ones that do have basic double jointed, formed double jointed or even single jointed bits. So at least from that, we can take away that the jointed bits are a little bit better when it comes to preventing lesions, at least on the bars of the mouth. Yeah. And also the oral tissues. I did a poster one time um, for uh, one of the classes at Edinburgh, and it was on periostitis that it's kind of like a buildup of calcium in the bar area of the mouth. And it's just from constant pressure being exerted in that interdental space. So the oral tissues have a strong somatosensory innervation, many, many nerves, uh, trigeminal nerves, a lot of innervation in that area. So um, the reason a horse has that, it's thought, is to detect potentially like noxious, um, mechanical, chemical, or thermal stimuli. So they kind of can get that cue not to eat something or, you know, uh, to stay away from a certain weed or uh, to maybe even um, decipher sharp objects. So they've got that outer, um, the whiskers help in that. But then when you get beyond the whiskers, that all that, those nerves help to protect their mouth area. They're actually so adept with their lips that if you put a tablet in a whole bucket of nuts, a horse can figure out the tablet. Not every horse. I mean, we have personality traits too for the ones that care to be picky and the ones that don't. But um, they have the ability like to pick that up and to feel the difference. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so it's really important when they get these lesions that we know that's what the problem is because out of... Uh, one of the tables had how these horses finished in the competitions and um, they had a majority of horses with severe lesions had no placement in the competition. So out of, there were 122 that did not place 39 of those or 32% did not place. So maybe their poor performance was indicative that they had these lesions. Mm -hmm. There has to be some other variables covered to be able to conclude that. And I think one of them is mouth size. And they gave what is a common size for most of that rostral region. But I think to be able to correlate type of bit and lesions, you need to correlate it with the shape and the size of the mouth. Don't you, Kate? Yeah, I think as well, but I mean, just hypothesizing. So essentially having a guess at what could impact that too. 
is remember the study we did before on bits where um the researcher discussed that if the horse's mouth is open, they can't cycle air as efficiently, so they're slower. Yeah. So the but the bits make them open their mouths. I imagine the lesions make them open their mouths even more because I mean that's an ill-fitting bit. So it's gonna be so uncomfortable. They're gonna be resisting against it. And if you've ever bit the inside of your mouth or had an ulcer on the inside of your mouth, it's so painful. Like it just rubs again and again. And some of these are significant. Like the ones that fall in the severe category, like it's a significant ulceration of the inside of the lip. Yeah, yeah. And um, just another tidbit, uh, when you access the paper, if you want to go a step further, there's reference number 11 is the paper that the same author did that um, kind of set up the grading system. So that paper came out in 2019. It was done with trotting horses. Now, Sweden and Finland, their racing industry is a lot of standard bred uh, racing or trotters. So they did the first study on that. So they used the same grading system for this paper and switched to the eventing um, side of things. So it was dressage and stadium jumping on day one. And then on day two, they did cross country. And then they approached the riders as they came off the course um, and they uh, asked, hey, do you mind if we do an oral examination on your horse? And it was done by the same veterinarian, did all the horses in these um, three events. And um, they did uh, two other events in another location. Isn't that right, Kate? Yeah, I believe so. So, you know, they all these 208 horses, they were divided up um, three locations so but the same vet did all the grading and all the inspections so um, there were some horses that were averse to being examined so then those were just eliminated so I think out of 208 they had like 197 total horses that did submit to the examination so um, it was all voluntary and they had a participation rate of 95%. So people really wanted to know um, the status of their horse. And after competing, you know, it was kind of a big deal because when you're competing, um, that raises the pressure a little higher. If you're going to be exerting a mouth pressure on a horse, you're going to do it when you're competing because you're not going to, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? There's a different level of pressure on the rider to perform. So um, they, they went ahead and they had good participation. And uh, also they were able to account for noseband types in this because sometimes the noseband puts a different amount of pressure on that bit and the horse can't evade then the bit. So that could be another variable that um, maybe another study might look into. Now, this study found no correlation between the lesions and the use of the noseband, even a lower place noseband. There was a previous study as well that um, attempted to kind of look into this, but I thought it was interesting. It didn't say what the federation was, 
but essentially the horse federation that was over that competition wouldn't allow them to look into the horse's mouths only to check the lip area. So in that previous study, they weren't able to assess if lesions occurred anywhere else other than that kind of lip commissure where the upper and lower lip joins. But in this study, when they fully looked into the mouths, there were two horses, and I know that's low compared to the number size, but still two horses had formed lesions on their tongues as well. Yeah, and you know what was interesting is the snaffle bit or the single-jointed snaffle, I should say. I've always been told some horses are really averse to that nutcracker action of that bit, but there were zero bruises or lesions on the palate, the roof of the mouth. So that was really interesting to me because that's why I always kind of go with a double-jointed snaffle because I think it's kinder in its action. Mm -hmm. It kind of breaks towards the back of the mouth versus the top or the roof of the mouth. And um, I think I've mentioned before, when I galloped on the racetrack, um, if I saw a slender muzzle, I usually opted for what I thought was a milder bit. And normally that would have been like a rubber-coated double-jointed snaffle or curved snaffle that went towards the back of the mouth. But according to this, the thicker is not necessarily the mildest. So, um, you know, I learned a lot reading this and it's things that you need to consider and maybe apply it to each horse individually. It's really interesting because like, I think everyone that has horses is used to having a look in their mouth, looking at their teeth. But I mean, I I couldn't recall a single time that I would have really checked the insides of the cheeks of my horse or even up under the lip. Like I would lift the lip up and check the teeth. But it's just something I suppose that if you don't learn it at a young age in your horse husbandry or as you become familiar with horses, it's not really in your toolkit for things to look out for. No, but I think anyone who's listening to this, I mean, pop outside if it's still bright in daytime when you're listening and take a look and see and just check if they do and pop onto this um, paper because you can see what the lesions look like in the areas they're in as a guide. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever really looked at the bars other than to feel them and to make sure they're nice and smooth and well-formed. But in this uh, paper, they advise a headlamp and those are easy. They're like, you know, seven dollars in a in at Walmart or a cheap, you know, energizer battery type mechanism. And you just put it on your head. Now I use one for hoof trimming in the winter so I can really see good, but I'm gonna take it and start inspecting their oral cavity because um, the you know, it was amazing some of the older bruises they found. Yeah, you know, and, like it's it is kind of just shattering that perception of what is a kind bit and you know what isn't, and really the thicker bit um, data that they got back has really surprised me that that was causing just as many problems. Yeah, um, I did write down. Um, let's see, I put the millimeters of what was considered 
thin and thick. And then also um, the mouth size, um, what's normal and whatever a good study would be to actually measure the, um, you know, size of the mouth of each horse and then correlate that with a type of bit and whether or not there was bruising our lesions. But while you're talking, Kate, I'm going to get those measurements on what was thick or thin, unless you, you've got that handy. Um, I don't think I do, unless they're at the very top of the page. Yeah, I wrote that down. Oh, I do, actually. I've just, I just came across them and I scrolled up. So <laughs> horses wearing thin, thin bits were 10 to 13 millimeters. Um, and a thick was 18 to 22 millimeters. And then what was the uh, moderate? Um, the moderate was 14 to 17. Yeah. So when you're buying bits, a lot of times they'll have that. And it'll be in millimeters even here in the States. So that is the circumference of the bit. So just kind of keep that in mind. And one of the issues they felt was that when thick bits are put in small mouth horses. So you, you know, like for my pony, she's got a small mouth, she's a pony, but she wears what's considered a five inch bit because you don't want to pinch the corners of the mouth. You'll get like little BB size calluses if your bit's too small. So I get her what would be considered a, a horse size length but I have to double check the thickness of her bits because uh, if the mouth is small you'll create more problems with a thicker bit and um, and do you have any other tips Nancy for fitting bits or it, it's one of those things that we kind of come back to that we we're saying before with saddles like it's so easy to buy a saddle and put it on and think that it fits okay and then to realize later the problems it's causing. Yeah, I all, I just know with the bits, the horse will tell you eventually. I mean, they're, you know, like my little pony had the little BB-sized calluses when I brought her home. So I went with a little bit longer bit. And then also... Um, you know, look at their behavior. They'll have kind of adverse behaviors that something's bothering them. And don't forget that one uh, episode where we talked about brow bands and nose bands. You never want them uh, tightened. You know, you want to have space there because um, that brow band is kind of like us. We don't like hats that are way too tight. It presses on that temporal nerve and then uh, you've got that trigeminal nerve that branch that goes to the mouth up around the optic nerve and uh, you've got to watch exerting pressure on that and then um, you know I would just say um, you know just uh, go with a mild bit but even the mildest of bits can be severe in the wrong hands I know mm -hmm. I always say that but you can, you know, maybe be riding in a severe bit, but because you've got very gentle hands, your horse, it, the welfare is different than if someone's using it as constant breaking and breaking and, and um, you know, having it just always on. And that 
that's what leads, I think, to adverse behavior. That's a great point. Is it the Western style of rising where they don't have a brow band or a nose band on the bridal? Um, yeah, I think it's kind of like um, they have um, a head stall, it's called. And yeah, now with racing, of course, we need a brow band and, and not always a nose band, but a brow band to keep the bridle on. You don't mm -hmm. want something falling off when you're going at those uh, high rates. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I've you know, I think that um, a nose band is questionable. Sometimes I ride with them. Uh, sometimes I don't. And when I'm driving, I always ride with a brow band in a nose band. But I usually have a two finger um, space on the nose band on the bridge of the nose. I used to measure under. And then I found out most of the research says you've got to measure on top the bridge of the nose. And that makes a difference. Brilliant. Yeah. So that's about all I had for this is just, um, you know, um, it surprised me that unjointed bits were a problem. And then also that, um, you know, the double jointed, uh, if it was a French link, it was somewhat of a problem. But if it's a double jointed snaffle, not so much. So take a look at this paper and read it. It's an easy read. And for me, it, the information was surprising in some instances. So uh, I hope there's more research coming out dealing with this, because I think a lot of us we just use the bit that we think or that someone tells us to try. And, you know, there's got to be more of a methodology for it. Definitely. And thank you for suggesting this paper this week, Nancy, because it was very enlightening. Yeah, so I lots of take home bits in it that we can actually practically apply. I love um, I love reading about bits because I think that's one of the um, parts of our education that is kind of lacking in horsemanship is knowing about all the different bits and look in a horse catalog. There's so many of them um, that it's really, um, you know, something we need to, to know more about. And then, uh, so I was, I learned a lot from this paper too, which is always a good thing and rewarding. You're always learning. And then we do have a research request. I almost forgot about that. It's Megan. She wants us to see if there's a recent research on the gut brain axis in horses and to kind of talk about that more. So I'm going to have to do a little bit of um, boning up on that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant though. And if anyone else has any more requests, um, send them our way. And it can, it can literally just be an area. You can message us and just say Shetland ponies. So if yeah. there's anything you're interested in, um, let us know and Nancy and I will do some searching and try and dig out some papers. Yep. Sounds great. And we'll see everybody next week. Don't forget, take that survey for us. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, everyone. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.